the scriptures to James uh, chapter 2. I was reflecting uh, one of the joys of preaching in the manner we generally do is you have some time out ahead where you know what you're going to be preaching and it, it helps you kind of put things in perspective in files and slots and as as that happened I was thinking about what Brent shared last week uh, in a really good and uh, convicting sermon about our, our actions, how we, we, we need to be good listeners, we need to be willing to give, be good givers, in, in the sense that uh, the orphans and the widows are people that can't give back to us. It's one thing to give to people who can give back to you eventually. That's kind of the it'll come around kind of giving. But there is something about giving unselfishly to people who can't ever give back. That is powerful. And I thought about that in my own life. Uh, thinking about those things, and I, I was thinking about the passage that we're preparing for today. Uh, it, it follows a theme on as we, as we think through the themes of James. Now, uh, I, th- I think we'll go ahead and read the passage. It is... Uh, it is Verses, chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. So follow along as I read. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says that they have faith but do not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed or lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled. Be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and they tremble or shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works, And not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also also faith apart from works is dead. Now this portion of scripture has created... uh, uh, People have often said, well... uh, But the Apostle Paul says it is by faith alone that we are saved. And so Paul and James must not agree. Well, I had Jenna read that passage. Does anyone know where that passage is found? And first, that was 1 Corinthians 3. So Paul wrote that passage. And he said, your faith is built on a foundation. I mean, your works, sorry. Your works are built on a foundation. That foundation is Jesus Christ. If you don't have works, it'll get burned up. And your works are going to be tested. And if we, unless we think that 
uh, James and Paul maybe are in cohorts here. John, uh, who gets a direct revelation into the throne room of heaven, says that at that great final throne judgment that is going to happen to every person in all of history and in, in every piece of history, we are going to stand before the God of the universe, and this is what it says. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. Not according to what they had believed, but according to what they had done. And the sea gave up her dead, and it goes on and, and talks about that. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. It has the idea that there is the book of life and then other books that carry people's works in it. And those will be read in conjunction. Now, uh, apparently there might be some possibility that someone could have a little bit of faith and, and never work that out and die and still go to heaven. I'll, 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 I'm all for that. But I think that maybe we've thought about works wrongly. What are works? So as James says here, what good is it, my brother, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? So what are works? Uh, you have to help this morning. What are works? Yeah. Being generous. Okay, good. That's really good. Say that again. Giving. Okay. So it's, it's a giving attitude. Yeah. So, so when we think about works, though, in, in the world that we grew up in, and, the, and, and the, maybe the influence of our particular subculture, we tend to think about it as obedience, strictly obedience, uh, obeying what people tell us to do. And uh, there is certainly, uh, children, there is certainly truth in that. Just try to tell a family obedience isn't necessary. But it, there is this kind of a brokenness to that when we think about works only as that. And, and it, this is a result of something that is fairly modern in our world. The idea that you can be saved and it, it doesn't impact the rest of your life. That is something that is not true for most of history. That is only something that is true in the last about 150 or 200 years of church history. Prior to that, people never would have believed the idea that you could be saved and then uh, simply go on doing whatever you want. Uh, and, and the way that you see that even is the early church's practice. The early church had these distinct practices that we would call works today. For instance... Um, in the Roman world, uh, abortion was very legitimate. In the world in which Jesus and Paul and the early church thrived, abortion was uh, a very viable way of dealing with unwanted pregnancies. So what the people would do is they would simply have the baby to term, and, and if they didn't like its gender, didn't like its looks, or didn't want it, they simply put it out on their doorstep and abandoned it. And every city, every large city in the Roman world had crews of people that went up and gathered out around dead bodies, babies' bodies. And, it, and the church 
um, one of their first actions as a corporate group was to say, Those are, that is life. We're going, to, we're going to go before the people who gather up the bodies, and we're going to gather up these babies. And they gave to these babies. They developed the first orphanages. So when, when uh, uh, in the passage from last Sunday, when it says the orphans and the widows, there is something to that that, 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 cultural, helps, uh, that cultural context helps us understand what that meant. Those orphans could never give back, but they become many of them would become a part of the group then. Uh, widows, widows. Uh, the Roman army was a, a had a they, they fed soldiers into the great maw of of war. That was one of the ways they kept their people content is by constantly being at war. It creates good economies and everything else, but it also created a lot of widows. And so the church saw their role as to actually go help those people. And what Benson said is so true. Like think about. Think about works not in the sense of, oh, I have to obey what God tells me to do. Rather, it is about being generous and kind and living out your Christian life. Now, in the last 150 or 200 years, the, the idea that one can become born again and, and uh, uh, say a certain prayer and then you get to go to heaven. And what it's created is an entire group of people who choose salvation just because they don't want to go to hell. Who wants to go to hell, really? And so, oh, quick, you need to pray the sinner's prayer. I'm not against praying the sinner's prayer and all that, but what it's created is an entire group of people who think that salvation is primarily about escaping hell. And, and according to the New Testament teachings, the teaching of the early church, and the teachings of 1,500 years or 1,700 years of church history, becoming a Christian was becoming a follower of Jesus, and it, it worked itself out in your daily life. And so works are what comes out of us as we follow Jesus. Now, it also strikes me that the church has historically said that, uh, that you're called to do that in your daily life. This is not something that happens when you have devotions in the morning or if you go to the mission field or, oh, you give a year of voluntary service or, oh, short-term missions. We'll go on a short-term mission trip. Now we've satisfied our obligations. But this is about being a Christian farmer. This is about being a Christian confectioner. Jam maker? Yeah, all right. You got it? Um, This is about being a Christian contractor. This is about being a Christian repairman. And and the, the way of Jesus affects every piece of my life. And as I live out my life... I live it in such a way that, that people can see Jesus reflected in how I act and what I do. That is a completely different thing than saying, oh, I'm a Christian, and then just keeping on doing what you're doing. Because it impacts... So, so this, uh, we sometimes call it uh, the 80-20 split. We, we are really good Christians if we give 20% of our lives to God. You know, 10% of our income and some of our time. Uh, uh, devotions are a good... I, I know people who are so devoted to their devotions, they forget their devotions are supposed to devote them to Christ. And they go around saying, I had my devotions this morning. I spent 45 minutes. Uh, that's not the point. The point is, did you connect with Jesus? And so, so whenever we get the idea that, okay, I've given God my time now, or my piece of it now, now the rest is mine, that's when works breaks down. That's when faith breaks down, too. 
Think about faith and works as being a DNA strand. You've seen the DNA strand, ladder, and uh, that DNA could never make a full person if one side of that was missing. And so faith and works create that DNA strand that makes somebody uniquely Christian. And so if we move away and say 100% of what I do is God's, 100% of what I have, 100% of how I'm going to live is God's, then we get an opportunity to glorify God in our daily work. I, and I think this, this is, I, I love the idea that it's 100% God's because then when I go to work, it can be God's. And then I live for Him there. And it's all His. And so as we look at this passage, I just want to, I want to pull three things out that, that I noted um, and, and, and that speaks to this. First of all, faith is more than words. Note in the first part where he says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith, Oh, I have faith, I have faith, but does not have works. And he uses an example uh, that, that, is, that tells us something about the nature of the church in that era, that there are some people who had plenty and some people who didn't have enough. And sometimes those people who didn't have enough would come to church. And the people in church would look at them and say, Hmm, you look kind of poor. You look like you don't have enough clothes to wear. You look like you're not getting enough food. Oh, have plenty of food. And you have the means to give them food. Like, all of us kind of think, that's kind of ridiculous. But when we say that our faith can be separated from our works, then, then we are saying the very same thing. Faith is more than words. It's action. It's doing something. It's living something. So the first thing is, is uh, faith needs to be more than words. Unless you think this is a, a remote idea, uh, it's not. Uh, I, I, was, uh, I found an illustration that I thought illustrated this very well about a small boy who had bought, went to the store and bought a dozen of eggs. And unfortunately, he tripped while he was walking out of the store. Why does this always happen with eggs? And, uh, and he dropped his bag. All the eggs were broken, and the sidewalk was a mess. The boy tried not to cry. It was just a little boy. And a, a, kind of gr- a group of people gathered around to see whether he was all right and told him how sorry they were that this happened. In the midst of their words of pity, one man handed the boy a dollar. And he said, I care a dollar's worth. How much do the rest of you care? And that is really a really good il- illustration. How much do you really care? Do you really c- it's one thing to say, for instance, about the world events that are happening and even the community events that are happening. I really care about that. But how much do you care? Do you care enough to put legs to it? Do you care enough to make a difference in your world? And this man cared enough to make a dollar's worth a difference. What is a dozen of eggs? If you buy the cheap ones, Mike, how much are they? Mike, how much are eggs? How much do eggs cost? Okay, so half a dozen. So he carried half a dozen's worth. I, I saw some for 99 cents, although I wouldn't want to eat them. Um, I think they were old. Um, but, but the point is, will you put legs to your words? All of us in this room, all of the adults here, would most likely say, I'm a Christian. I have faith in Jesus. But unless there are legs to that faith, unless there's arms to that faith, unless there's generosity to that faith, it's merely words. The second thing I note here 
And, and let's call it, let's, I just want to say one more thing about that. Let's call that a living faith. A living faith actually is much more than words, it's action. The second thing I noted in this passage, that it, our faith grows in proportion to our works. Do you want more faith? Then do more works. It says that. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? And then he goes on and uses the illustrations. But faith and works cannot be separated. Either they don't, either they coexist in us, or they don't exist at all. And if you want to grow the one, you need to grow the other. So if I were to ask you at the beginning of the sermon, if I if I would have asked you, how many of you would like to grow your faith? I think all of you would have raised your hand. Well, there is a way you can do that. You can become active in your world. And I think that this means much more than just putting money in the offering bucket or doing the work of the church. I mean, I think it means becoming active in our world to make a difference. What does that look like? I'm not I'm not going to speak for you, but then he gives three examples. So uh, he, he says, by the way, that faith alone is dead. And the uh, Greek word there means a corpse. Faith alone is a corpse. What happens when you have a corpse? It stinks. And I, I, I wonder if in our world today, some of the animosity towards Christianity is built on this fact. That there are many people who... Say, oh, I have faith. I, I'm, I'm a Christian. But their works, they, they never do anything about that. And the people looking into that and say, that kind of stinks. I can say that too, but it kind of stinks. So, first of all, faith needs to be more than just words. And our faith grows in proportion to our works. And then, our actions complete our faith. And he uses two illustrations there. This is fascinating as I noted them. Uh, He uses a man and a woman. And he uses the two acts that that we find really difficult to sometimes know what to do with. He uses Abraham when he was asked to offer up his son. And Abraham goes up onto the mountain to offer his son. Now, God has been clearly for life and against child sacrifice. But Abraham acts in faith with the idea that God is going to make a provision for him. Abraham did not know that he, his son, Abraham didn't know. (coughs) And when I read that passage, I think, boy, that is really, like, what would you do if God asked you to sacrifice your son or your daughter? And they're the only one you have. And you're supposed to take it up there. It's, It's the one account that, Many of us have kind of wrestled with and said, well, should Abraham have done it? And there's all these theological things. The point is, Abraham went and did it. And it didn't look the way that we think it should have or the people around him look. I wonder what Sarah thought that morning when Abraham said, Isaac and I are going to go up to the mountain. What are you going to do up there? And, uh, well, I'm going to sacrifice Isaac. And I bet Sarah thought, I hope he's saying that metaphorically and not and theologically and not Whatever. No, she didn't say that. But anyway, um, the, the point of the matter is that sometimes faith, sometimes works, faith and works, that combination, 
lead us into a path that we never expected it to take. doesn't look kosher. The second account that he gives is of Rahab. In the same way was not also Rahab the, prophet, the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. Now implicitly in this is the idea, when you think about the story of Rahab, is the fact that somebody came and asked her, weren't there some men here? And, uh, and Rahab said, oh yeah, yeah. Now she was used to regularly receiving men like that. And, uh, and then they said, well, where did the men go? And she said, well, they went that way. And they had went that way. And it's, it's again one of those stories that we actually don't quite know what to do. She lied. And we, we don't quite know what to do with that piece of the story. And I think that uh, James is, is, because the Jewish audience that James was writing to would have understood the implications of, of James using these two examples. And it, it, it struck me, and, and Narita and I were talking about this passage, and she had a really good insight. She said, well, you, you should read uh, a few pages back is Hebrews 11, the great passage, uh, the great faith passage. And it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. And he goes on and it says, By faith Enoch said, I'm saved, and he was saved, right? By faith uh, Abraham said, I'm a believer, and he was saved, right? That's not what it says. It, there are these verbs in there. And I went through the passage and highlighted all the verbs and looked at all the verbs in the passage. And I suddenly began to say, think, well, my goodness, that's really important stuff. For instance, uh, uh, that he offered, he was taken up, that he constructed an ark. He obeyed, he went out, he lived in tents. He looked forward. Uh, she had believed that she had the power to conceive. They acknowledged that they were strangers. They sought a homeland. They desired. They invoked blessings. They blessed each son. They gave directions concerning his bones. All these action words. And when the, when the writer of uh, of when James uses uh, Abraham and Rahab, he uses two of the pieces that are, that, that are unusual in the sense that in the, in the one case, God asked for something really hard and Abraham was willing to follow through and then God made a provision. And on the other hand, he took an outsider, a Gentile, a, a prostitute, and it's very clear that that's, he, he says that in there, um, and, and, and someone who who used a bit of um, deception to further the kingdom of God. Now, what does that say to us? I don't think that you need to follow those practices. I, I, I don't know what to do with all that, but I do know that I think what this says to us is that faith and works, that, that DNA strand that makes us uniquely Christian in, in, the, in the fact that we say we believe in Jesus and we live it out with our entire lives will look different for every group of people for everywhere. And for us, uh, for, for us here at Providence, it, it means that we are, we are called, God calls his group of people to make a difference in the kingdom wherever we're at. And that is going to look different than it did in your parents' church. And it's going to look different for our children when they have church. And so how do we make a difference in today's world? I think that we actively engage the world around us and their brokenness and their sinfulness, and we bring the answer of Jesus to them, and we show them by our actions that we are serious about the way of Jesus. So it, it, it means that we don't do things like, 
well, just believe and then everything's going to be okay. Isn't that very the same thing as saying, be warmed and filled. Everything's going to be home. Go in peace. You know, as a believer, one of the things that we, we need to do is tell people that following Jesus is, it requires all of you. And there are times when it's going to be difficult and hard, but it's worth it. I think it, it, it also means that, that we, need to be, uh, we need to speak actively to the brokenness of our world. And when there is sin, we stand against it. And when there is injustices and oppression, we speak out against them. And when we can do something about it, we do it. I think for, for many people in our world and in the Christian faith, they get, uh, there's this kind of thing about telescopic giving that makes them feel really good about themselves. So, so telescopic giving is when you see a need way over and you kind of look at it through the telescope and say, oh yeah, see those poor starving children over there? Let's give some money to them. I don't want you to quit giving money to them. But also, what about the needs right in our community? What about the needs in Charm? What about the needs sitting here? And when we walk away from those needs, we're walking away from the opportunities to express our faith in big ways. So, our faith needs to be more than words, and our faith will grow as we work it out, and our actions help complete or perfect our faith. How many of you would like to have a growing, perfecting faith? James is clear, there's one answer. Paul is clear, there's one answer. The scriptures are clear, there's one answer. Put some legs to it and do something about it. Let's stand together. You note that I didn't say anything about balance. How much faith, how much works, it's not about balance. It's about a kind of faith that moves into action. So as we end our time by praying together, I'm going to pray for myself and for you that this week we will get opportunities to move our faith into action. Lord, as we go from here, I pray that we would, each of us would recognize the opportunities that you send our way this week, today, to move our faith into action so that our faith will grow and become more perfect. And Lord, um, remove the binoculars from our eyes and put, help us to put on bifocals to where we can see the things close up to us and learn to give there and then reach out beyond that. Because when we don't give to those you've placed right in our midst, we're just like these people who say, oh, well, just be warmed and fed and go on with your life. Help us to recognize the needs and what to do with them and give us the answers to those needs. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.